0: the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That's crazy to the world, isn't it? The evidence of things hoped for. The evidence? You mean faith has an evidence. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's a substance. It's just as real to you, more real than this or this or this or this or symptoms, it's an evidence. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now we're talking about bride material. We thank God for positive test results. We thank God for days when we feel better, but real faith says I'm healed whether I feel better or not. Amen. Real faith says it. Well, the doctor said bad news doesn't make any difference. Brother Ben said the doctor could say you ain't got but a few minutes to live. If it was dropped in your heart, you could got life in his face. Why? You've got Isaac Amen. and Isaac is laughter. Amen. Don't you love him today? Don't you appreciate his grace and mercy to our hearts? Let's turn if you would to the book of Romans chapter eight, where are turning there and wanted to announce another wedding engagement of Justin Lovall and Sister Shalom Swanson. We're happy as long as he's moving this way. We're not so happy if uh, she's having to go there. That's the downside of having all these girls in our church. These guys from Phoenix and from Tucson and from Louisiana, they come here courting and then take our saints away. Uh, We're happy for them, aren't we? Amen. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow. So if we take that literally as the English phrases it, there is not a person in this building or one in the world can ever please God. If we take it literally for what it says. But now let's read a little farther. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. Wow, somebody hit me with a wet noodle. You gotta be kidding, I'm not in the flesh and you all aren't in the flesh? What in the world's causing us all these problems? But listen, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now remember, this is chapter 8, of course, after chapter 7. Chapter 8 does not counsel out 7. It actually brings 6 and 7 together in the merging of chapter 8. Now listen to this. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now this used to be one of my favorite scriptures when I was a Pentecostal preacher. But once I really realized what this scripture actually meant, I uh, used to use it all the time, maybe many of you all heard it the same way, that it was for shouting and dancing and you know highly emotional services, that the Spirit in you will quicken your mortal body. But when you look at what Paul's saying, He ain't talking about shouting at all. He's talking about our bodies being brought subject to the life that lives within us. So it actually quickens our body to obedience. Aren't you grateful for that today? I I'd like to be remembered today before the Lord in prayer. I have two requests I'd like to make known to you today. The Bible tells us to make our requests known and I'd like for you to be praying for my Oldest daughter, Liz, she's been sick for, for several days, um, just not feeling well at all. Just ask that you'd remember her. Erica will begin her fourth treatment tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We've got some really good reports from the doctor. The words the doctor kept using over and over again was great. She was doing great, doing great. So we're thankful. We shouldn't really be surprised, we have a great God. Amen. He's a great, mighty God. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Also, Brother Louis already mentioned all the other needs among, among the body, our assembly here. And um, the Philippines was hit with a terrible, terrible typhoon. And um, we have uh, thousands and thousands of believers there on the islands of the Philippines. And I haven't really heard any initial reports yet as far as lives damaged churches things like that but we'd certainly like to remember them as well. I'm sure that most of you understand that we are in a terrible time politically and uh, the sense of the world uh, facing an election this week. And I know probably every one of you has got your own party and you've got your own man and I ain't interested in either one of them. One of them's uh, just a narcissist as all he can be and the other is a political crook and a liar. So we ain't got no, nobody to choose from. You, you could vote for a groundhog and get a better option than either one of them. So don't, don't get either one of you get mad at me because we ain't got nobody's runs worth account. But the way I read it according to the Bible, the scripture said the powers that be are ordained of God. And you're probably like me, you want prophecy to come to pass. I want the end time to come upon us and I want to get out of here, but I want it to be as easy and as gently as possible. I'm only being honest. So... I'm not telling you not to vote, or I'm going to tell you not to vote, who to vote for and who not to vote for. But there's one thing I'm going to tell you this morning. We better pray. Because the Lord knows who we need in the White House. Who do you think? What I think don't really matter. What you think, to be honest, don't really matter. But the Lord knows. So, let's take this request to the Lord today. Heavenly Father, as we... Bow our heads to the dust of the earth from whence these bodies were taken. We bring many needs and requests before you today. But we're instructed to ask for great things. And for many of them. We know, Lord, that you're not rationing your power. Your greatness has so been expressed to our hearts and our lives and we're so thankful. In one way, we hate to constantly come before you with this need and that need and another need. But I remember reading of your children as they come out of the land of Egypt and how there was two and a half million of them or so. There was no Walmarts, no Kroger's. There was no Dollar General stores so they could run over and get a pair of shoes if they needed some water, if they needed something to eat. They had no grocery trains that was following them. There was no supply lines, but you loved them so much, Father. You sent them water, you sent them meat, you sent them bread from heaven. Their shoes, their clothes, they didn't have no malls to be able to buy clothes, but their shoes never wore out, nor their clothes. So we believe you're just as concerned about our needs today. Father, you see our nation where we are facing an election week and probably for most of us, this is no doubt the most important election in our life. Lord God, I'm neither Democrat nor Republican. I'm a Christian. I've never voted in my life and I have no plan on starting it now. But there's one thing I can do, I can pray. And Lord Jesus, you see the way we need to go. Whichever man we need in the White House, whichever party we need to control the White House, the Senate, and the Congress, we pray your divine will will be done. That's one thing we all, as Christians, can agree on. You know better than we do. So we pray, Father that you would bring to pass your divine order. Those that are sick, those that are afflicted, may you be mindful of us, Lord, as we endeavor to look into your word and break the bread of life. I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Really, the only way you and I could ever come back to God and be reconciled in His presence is because our God had to kenosis Himself away from the Shekinah, away from the fullness of what He was in the form of the Word. Had he left us here in this earth as mortals to defend ourselves, to try to find our way somehow back to God, every one of us here today would be lost. No hope for us. Paul says here in Romans 8:10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead. Now, the English here doesn't actually give The true perspective of the Greek words that Paul used. Actually, the words that he uses references that the body is not actually physically dead, but subject to death because of sin. I hope you can understand it today that before sin, there was no mortality, there were no mortal leaves. The Garden of Eden never had a fall. The Garden of Eden never had winter. It never had snow. It never had rain. It never had a frost. The trees were constantly being renewed. And when Adam and Eve would pull the fruit off of the trees, it was constantly being replenished. There was no mortality. There were no dead animals, no dead birds. You would never walk by a tree as we can see. And as the wind blows, even this morning, I looked at my window at home and saw the leaves that were falling by the hundreds. Well, what does that speak of? It speaks of a mortality that not only struck us, but that struck us. All of nature. Now, whether it would be dogs, cats, elephants, whales, whatever more, there are no animals, there are no bugs, no microbes, no microisms, nothing that can live eternally under the curse of what took place in the Garden of Eden. And yet, God did not ordain mortality to be our destiny. Only a spot that we would be in it in this sequence of time. We were not made to be mortal. That's why when we reach a certain age and wrinkles start coming in our face and our hair turns gray or loose, whichever it is, what is it a sign of? Mortality. So when you get up of a morning and you've got aches and pains, You weren't meant to have that. Actually, the body renews itself every seven years. You were meant to be able to eat foods that would provide the nutrients and the nourishments that you would need where you would never die. And you would have lived and ate and drank and continually lived forever, was ever out aging one hour. So you would have never got old, you would have never got crippled, you would have never lost your sight or your hearing. But sin brought mortality. Then death entered into the world by sin. So there's only one way sin can be taken out of the world. And that again is by death. But it's not by the death of an animal. It's not by the deaths of botany life, not by the death of even good people, but it must be by the death of him who gave life. Now we can get ourselves in trouble, but most of the time we can't get ourselves out. We can sin without any help, but we can't be made righteous without help we can make the office messes in the world without any help. Then when we get help, we're really in a mess. Well, come on, it's the truth. That's why when you put people in a gang mentality, that's why things go absolutely crazy. Because you within yourself, me within myself can make up enough mess, and then you get a bunch of us together, and boy, we can really tear things up. But there had to be something, someone, that would come that was not mortal. Yet he had to become mortal in order to pay the penalty and the price of mortality. You see, that price could not remain in the realm of eternity and ever cover the debt that we owed. So the eternal had to become mortal himself. The eternal had to become mortal, and how could the eternal ever become mortal when God could never die? So then we come to the mystery or the marvel of what is called the Son of God, not another person in the Godhead, not another being which was less God, but God himself in a form of condescension that he would condescend to a level that he would be able to feel and deal with mortality. So if sin entered into the human race, and by that the end result was death, and it set the cycle of mortality, what a sad day it must have been when Adam and Eve were forced out of the Garden of Eden. And when they moved beyond the gates of paradise, and they had to turn, and we, we know that they stayed right near the gate initially, because paradise then, the Garden of Eden being located in the land of Egypt, and Mesopotamia being called the cradle of civilization. And when they were cast out, there was still something in Adam's nature that he wanted to be close to God they taught their boys and they actually did not teach them the right way. You remember the sermon the Lord gave me years ago on my father taught me wrong. They did not teach them the full understanding that they were brought out by disobedience by blood. So when Cain goes to bring an offering to God, he brings his fruits, his labors, his vegetables, But Abel, by revelation, brought life. And by that, it showed that he had a direct contact into the presence of God. So the first mortal outside of the gates of paradise, God reveals to him the way back. And yet he was not there when his mother and father were called to the carpet, as we would say, And God went running through the Garden of Eden screaming, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Finally, Adam called out from behind the bushes, his flesh trembling, and the first time in his life, he feels fear. Trauma must have run over his entire body as his flesh quivered and trembled. He'd never experienced it before. That's hard for us to imagine. It's all we've known as mortals. But yet, for them to experience in their first time the trauma of fear and hearing the voice of God, which the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before had brought them such happiness and such peace. But today, the voice of God brings trauma and fear and anxiety. Adam, where are you? I'm over here. I heard your voice walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I am naked. Now the man had made the fig leaf apron, but that apron did not hide his sin. Is that right? He knew he was naked. So he needed help with his atonement. And God by his mercy killed a lamb and threw the skin in behind the bushes where Adam and Eve were and told them to put it on. God is not going to reverse now their mortality. God is not going to reverse this conscience level that they've moved into. They lived in this first dispensation in the Garden of Eden was innocence. But by partaking of the fruit, disobeying the word, Adam himself and Eve brought a dispensational change. They then move into the dispensation of conscience. So now they begin to experience what is right and wrong the feelings of conviction, condemnation, the knowing that you never, ever again, will you ever be able to have a perfect day on earth. For us, that's all we've ever known. As you know, I've been preaching since I was a little boy, just 18 years old, I'm 64. Been preaching most of my life, preached thousands of sermons, around the world and I've never preached a perfect one. I've made mistakes in every one of them. We've got musicians here that are very talented, brothers and sisters. They've never played a perfect song in their life. We've got many singers that are talented, songwriters and so on. They've never sung a perfect song. You Christians, many of you have been living God for decades, giving your life to him. You've never had a perfect day when you could say today was absolutely perfect. You've never had one. You'd stand and would have you all to stand and give a testimony today of the greatness of God in your life. None of you would give a perfect testimony. You would probably say, why did I say that? I wish I would have said that. I wish I'd have left that out and said this. You see, we, we don't know perfection. In reality, we cannot even understand it. We use the word and we use it so loosely. Well, this was a perfect day. The sun was so beautiful and the temperature was just right and there was no wind. Uh, there was no clouds in the sky but it wasn't a perfect day. Thousands die every hour. So no matter what we look at, there's nothing in this life that is actually able to reach the goal of perfection. And there was only one who had perfection within himself. But how do you get that perfection broke down into the realm of mortals? who were never meant to be this way anyway. If you come in the state of perfection itself, and you remain in that state, you cannot divide yourself and share that with these mortals that you so hunger to have them in your presence. You see, the desire that we have is only half of this story. You want to see him? Not near as bad as he wants to see you. You long to go to heaven, do you not? You long for the rapture, we long to see our loved ones, we long for the great gathering together. We don't long for it near as much as he does. He longed for it before there was ever a molecule, before there's ever one cosmic ray of light. He longed to have you there in his presence. And yet he allowed mortality to move into the cycle as we spoke about it before the little loop of time that come right down to the cycle in order to express the greatness of his attributes. Now when Paul is writing here in Romans chapter eight by this stage in the journey, of course the apostolic time, it was in succession and it was going on. Uh, The book of Romans written around 64 AD, something like that. So Christianity... uh, had been around for about 30 years as far as what God was doing in the church. And there were people from Rome, which are very vile people, had a very bad background. The Corinthian people were were a mixture of Greeks and Romans and Corinthians. Corinth was a port city, a very wicked, wicked place. And yet God, through all of this, had established churches now in different continents and different nations, and God was pulling the people together. And there needed to be a gospel message that was beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We thank God for the four gospels, but I thank God that's not the end of it. We would not know a lot of how to conduct ourselves in life and in the church and in our behavior in the world if we only had the gospels, is that right? And yet God chose one man for the most part, which was Paul, that was going to be anointed, the first church-age messenger, to be able to bring most of how we were to live, how we were to behave, the doctrines of the church, dress, and so on and so on. Why? Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was not called to write much of those things. The Lord Jesus could have said those things when he was here, but he chose not to. It was a dispensation that would be administered to by himself through the gifts in his body called preachers. Is that right? Now, then if the Spirit of God lives inside of us, this is one of the true signs that we have the Holy Ghost, that the Spirit of God will bring our body subject to the Word. Now, this happens, of course, because the Lord Jesus desired to express himself, and the sense is that the gospel by the influence of the Spirit of God will bring the entire man in subjection to the word. So the indwelling of the Holy Ghost actually places our soul further back than Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden. Now I know it may seem odd to you to say that but yet when you look at it I I don't know, I've never found actually what Adam actually had in the Garden of Eden. I know he had an express image and it was something that God had given to him that was eternal, breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul which bore the image of the invisible God but yet whatever it was that he received he could lose by disobedience right? And this is why we are where we are today. But the Lord Jesus Jesus and the New Testament performed such a work that those that would actually get in Christ Jesus and be hid away in him, they would be sealed further back than Adam and Eve ever was in the Garden of Eden. Now for those of you today who had the true baptism of the Holy Ghost, Adam fell, Eve fell, you know, on and on and on the story goes, but if you are sealed by the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us that you've got these virtues of the Lord God inside of you, you will never fall. Amen. So that shows us the greatness of the work that transpired at Calvary was even greater than the original creation in the Garden of Edom. Now we are certainly long, do we not? long for paradise to be restored but in reality paradise is already in the phase of restoration because those who have the true baptism of the Holy Ghost they have already entered into that secret place in Christ Jesus and their soul is sealed in the presence of God and then when the body dies the soul goes into the theophany of the presence of God then at the resurrection they both come back to meet the redeemed body now this is not the end for the Body itself. There's a future for the body, thank God. But notice this in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now, here is a man that you all believe with me, I'm sure, had the true baptism of the Holy Ghost. How many believes that? And yet, Paul is still writing in chapter 6 of Romans, chapter 7 of Romans, chapter 8 of Romans, and he's still writing about apparently a battle that is going on between the regenerated part, the soul, and the part which is not regenerated, which is the flesh. Notice how that he approaches this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. Look at this meaning of this word, one who owes another, one held by some obligation, bound by some duty, one who has not yet made amends to whom he has injured. So in other words, Paul is saying to us that are redeemed in the soul that we are not in debt to our flesh to obey our fleshly desires if they are contrary to the word of God, right? But who are we in debt to? The almighty God, every day of your life. Now notice, therefore, brethren, we are not debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now here he's bringing in the consequence of how that being born again, this is why he goes back to the other verses that we read, that he said that if we are in the flesh, we cannot even please God. So he's not saying that a soul left in a mortal body cannot please God, but a soul left in a mortal body that tries to please the soul and tries to to please the flesh, it's totally impossible. You've got to make your choice of which one you're going to serve. That's right. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live mortified, no, then to live after the flesh is to obey the orders of the flesh which is still unregenerate. Now remember your body is in a state of spiritual neutrality. How that your body can do right or wrong. Now praise the Lord, everybody's gonna say amen, right? Brother Lewis said, make your mass puff now. I don't want snoring ones, (laughs) I don't want them sucked over your face, I want you saying amen, breathing out, not breathing in. Now, to live after the flesh, then, is to obey the flesh and to know that our flesh, it has the ability of sin. Praise the Lord, I love you, Jesus. Or if you lose your temper, and boy, you can say things and run off at the mouth, amen. amen. Or you can say things about one another that you shouldn't say, well, who's doing that? Your soul or your body, amen, is that right? Now, notice again then Paul said that if the Spirit of God is in us, then we have the ability to mortify the deeds of the body. What a peculiar word. So sin is mortified in its power whenever the Holy Ghost from the soul captures it and brings it into captivity. So then it actually ceases to be active as it was. Now, I know this may seem odd to you, but mortification. Purification is not something that happens one time. Now listen to me so that you don't misunderstand where I'm going. I'm not saying by any means at all that a person who is born again does not have any control over their body. If you have no control over your body, you are not born again but your body is not born again. But the new birth wants to bring the body into a state of continual, ongoing mortification. Now, whenever the Lord strikes our nature, the old nature, and the old nature actually dies and we are born again, that is not something that is gradual. That is not something that is day by day by day and then gradually you grow into more of the Holy Ghost and more of the Holy Ghost and then one day, you realize you got the Holy Ghost somehow. You don't know when you got it, but you growed into it. No, the Holy Ghost is an experience. Is that right? It's not an ongoing something that takes you 45 years to get it. You can get it right here today if you don't have it. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Is that right? But notice then, whenever we move mortification then to the body, it is not something that happens instantaneously as the new birth does. Now, this is what seems to be so confusing to so many folks because they read quotes like this or scriptures like this, and they will say, well, my goodness, I, I've got the Holy Ghost, and I believe I'm born again. How come my flesh still bothers me? And how come this still bothers me? And then others will say, bless God, if you ever get the Holy Ghost, you'll never look at a woman. I'll tell you one thing. You'll never get aggravated. You'll never get upset. They're lying to you. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. But mortification must be a continual, necessarily painful procedure that goes on in the life of every child of God. Now, there's no way that we can mortify our bodies without it causing pain. Now, think of it. There's no way an animal or a mortal can be able to leave out of this life. Or oh, you people say, well, boy, I've been able to go to sleep, you know, and go lay down and sleep at night, and then you die and you sleep. That would be ideal. But you might not have known it, but somehow you're experiencing some type of pain. You're having a heart attack, you're having whatever more. So, death does not come and strike a mortal without an element of pain. Now, when we bring that then to the continual sacrificial life of a child of God, it's going to bring pain because the mortification on our body cannot be pain-free. Now, I know we don't like that. We want it to be pain-free, and we'd like to have all kinds of spiritual shots and all kinds of spiritual pills, and you know, where we can be able to leave this life as a pain-free mortal. It ain't gonna happen. I guarantee you one thing, any of you that's ever experienced a lot of pain, how many of y'all's experienced pain before? Whether by a cut or a pull muscle in your back or a kidney stone or whatever it is, oh my goodness. Whenever they give you a shot, the last big kidney stone I have, and I went to Franklin Woods and took them in there, and I was trying to sit on the bed. I couldn't sit on the bed. I was standing up, I was moving, I was twisting around. They gave me morphine, and tore it all at the same time. Both of them at the same time. I was tearing the sheets off the bed. I was up. I was I was moving, I was trying to stand still, but in a few minutes a warm thing hit me in the back of my neck, which they said it would, and whenever that warm feeling hit me in the back of my neck, all of a sudden I felt a relief come over my body. I wanted to buy a 55-gallon drum of that stuff, just in case it ever hit me again. Now, those of you that ain't had kidneys, don't you or the big frown on your face? If you've ever had one, or your husband or your dad's had one, you can smile because you know what I'm talking about. So, there's something about pain that we don't like. I don't like pain myself. I don't like pain. I've had a lot of it in my life, as most of us mortals have, and it is worse in the sense when it comes to the body on a continual dying. You see, those that are Christ have crucified the flesh. That's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. They that are Christ, which is possessive, they have crucified the flesh. But it's not just something that happened one time and that's the end. It is an ongoing, continual crucifixion. This is what God is requiring for us. Oh, praise the Lord. And this is what made it possible was the kenosis or the emptying out of our Lord Jesus in order to have a church that he would call his bride. Now this is what separates one of the many things that separates the bride from the church because the church, natural, they don't want to go to hell. They don't want to be lost. They don't want you know any of those sort of things. But they don't want to live a continual life on the cross. Now, living a life on the cross is not an easy life. Living a life on the cross, and the Lord Jesus spoke more about your cross and my cross than he did about his own cross. As a matter of fact, he spoke about your cross before he spoke about his own. If any man will follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me Once, at least once a week. At least once a month, no, let him follow me daily. Now, the more painful, and you know that's so sad, but with human beings, what I've found so many times in the lives of many people is the longer they prolong this thing about giving up everything to God, the more painful the death will actually be. There are some that are able by the grace of God, they realize they're wrong and they realize mortification is the only way to be able to deal with this body and they're able to come to that recognition pretty soon in life. And they're able by the spirit of God to be able to give over the body to mortification, not saying that it doesn't arise every now and then and bother them and try to affect them, but it no longer controls them. It is not their master. It is not their master, but they control it. And there's others and they give a little bit to God, and then they go on and they give a little bit more to God, and they spread it over five years, and then 10 years, and 15 years, and 20 years, and they're only prolonging the inevitable. You see, to be the bride, this is inevitable for every one of us, whether you're a prophet, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, no matter who you are, every one of us must mortify the deeds of our body. What am I speaking about? I'm speaking about Isaac bringing Ishmael under control because Isaac is the promised son and Ishmael is the troubled one. Woo, boy, that was good right there. My, my, Isaac is the promised son and Ishmael is the troubled one. Then what's going to happen? Why don't we just take a knife and slit Ishmael's throat? That's not the way God wants it done. It wants it through the power of sanctification which runs in on mortality and then it produces what to the body? It mortifies the deeds of the body. Oh, my, my. Thank you all for saying amen so much. Is more. Now, notice this cannot be done by ourselves, but it will never be done without ourselves. Let me say it again. This cannot be done by ourselves, but it will not be done without ourselves. I want you to notice how Paul is separating this from the new birth, so he did not say that God mortified the deeds of your body, but you are to mortify. So from there, it lets us know we're speaking to people that are born again in Romans chapter eight, still following chapter seven. So he's speaking to those who have the indwelling presence of Christ living inside of them, but he is telling them for them to mortify the deeds of their body. Well, why don't the Holy Ghost do it? Why don't he just do everything? We'd be more lazy than what we are. So notice it cannot be done by ourselves, but it will not be done without ourselves, oh hallelujah. We can sin of ourselves, but we can't make ourselves righteous, is that right? We know how to be slaves, but we cannot free ourselves. Notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, notice now the channel, watch him as he brings it together now of you from the soul and you by that choice, if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Who's he talking about? He's separating you from you. So if you by the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, so he's not even calling you the body. He's separating you from your body. Don't you understand? Glory to God. He's speaking about the work of incarnation. Look friends, people think the work of incarnation was Jesus, the Lord of Jesus only. No, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of a continual. Do you understand, for seven church ages, for 2,000 years, God has been the work of incarnation in every Holy Ghost feels saint. The work of incarnation is going on right here today in this building. The Spirit of God incarnating himself in our flesh. Lord Jesus, but if ye through the Spirit if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Ye who? So you agree that ye is not the body? You see, the fallen nature that every one of us still have in the flesh, not the soul, in the flesh, the propensities to do wrong, the inclinations. So y'all believe that Brother Branham had the cross on his mirror and the car for decoration, right? Really? Y'all you mean you believe that was there for, to, to, to help him some way? He was immortal? Praise the Lord. So it's to kill, to kill the appetites that are in our mortality. And your poem about dividing this is showing the work of incarnation. This could not be said to people that are not born again. It's impossible. Their soul, their spirit, their body is all vile and corrupt. This could only be addressed to those who have the Holy Ghost. Amen. So if ye have the Spirit, what are you to do with it? Not just signs, wonders, and miracles, but mortify the deeds of your body. Amen. Notice this, I love this in Romans eight fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is a mark of a son and daughter of God. They're led, not driven. Now watch a person in a justified and sanctified state. They will have to be driven to do many things. Why, because their nature still in their soul has not been born again. And they've got to be drove to this, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. But if they ever get the Holy Ghost, those driving days are over. Why? Because from their soul, now notice, I'm not talking about people who say, well, I I feel led to do this and I feel led to do that. Look, come on, let's be honest. We've all felt led to do a lot of things when we found out it was either the devil or our flesh. It wasn't a bit more God than the man on the moon. And yet, well, I feel led to do this. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about, notice he's not just talking about feeling led to move here or feeling led to buy this car, feeling led to go to work over here. He's talking about us being led by the spirit of God every day of our life bringing our humanity under a state of mortification this is what leads us to do it the indwelling presence of God you don't need a pastor going around with you everywhere you go to keep you right if you got the Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost will keep you right Oh my, Well, you—you you wives don't need to follow your husbands around everywhere and vice versa to make sure they live right and they're gonna do right. If they've got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost sent them will help them do right. Amen. Come on saints, say amen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You see, as a traveler would be led by his guide as a traveler would be led by his guide, or a student would be led by his or her teacher. So the Spirit of God wants to lead us as he teaches us in the realm of mortification. Oh, hallelujah. Notice in Colossians 3:4, when Christ, who is our light, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Amen. Amen. The dead bodies of the saints will be raised up. I love the way the prophet says it this way in Melchizedek. We meet Jesus in the air before we get home. That's right. 2 Thessalonians tells us that. We meet him in the air. Beautiful type of Rebecca meeting Isaac in the field. In the cool of the day, we meet him in the air. 2 Thessalonians tells us so. For we which are alive and remain shall not prevent or hinder those which are asleep. For the trumpet of God shall sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Perfect all these types. Therefore, the theophany, if you have died and entered into that theophany, what happens? The theophany comes to the earth to pick up the redeemed body. And if you're here in the air, I don't know about you, I'm gonna have to be changed to be able to be suspended in the middle of the air waiting for my Theophany. Whew. oh my. If you are here in the air, my, my. You take the body. You take the body. You, you. Take the body, who is you? The seed of God, the gene of God. That one which has, amen, received the true baptism of the Holy Ghost, you, it is you. Why, because you're the one who mortified it. It will be you who leads it to match the theophany. Don't you understand, friends, even in the rapture, God is allowing you to bring your body into the final phase of mortality. You will take your body, you will, not Jesus, not Paul taking yours, not Brother Branham taking yours, not Peter taking yours, but you, Brother Larry. You, my brothers and sisters, you will take your own body to meet your theophany. If you're here in the air, you take the body to meet the theophany. There you are and call up and go meet the Lord in the air. Who is this Melchizedek, but God. Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, mortify therefore your members. Again, not the Holy Ghost but me and you mortify. Let's look at the meaning of this word. The Greek word is necro. to make dead, to put to death, slay, worn out, deprive of power, destroy the strengths of. And the Holy Ghost ain't gonna do this, not by himself. But but the Holy Ghost using you, he will do it. Now we're talking about bride material. I just just gave you the definition of every member around the world of the bride of Christ that'll go on the rapture. You see, whether the black, white, red, or yellow, whether they go to this church, that church, that won't have one thing to do with it. It will have to do with this right here. Those who brought their bodies under mortification will change their body to the final consummation of a body change. Notice, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Oh my goodness. What in the world is he doing listing these horrible things fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. You mean our bodies, our bodies, brother Nathan, could do them awful things? Now, all of you angels that are here this morning, it's pretty warm in this building, so I'd appreciate a little bit of air if y'all want to flutter your wings a little bit. Because it's getting awful warm in here, I think so. All of you church members, just flutter your wings and cool it down. I wonder how many of you have lied this week. I wonder how many of you brothers have looked at women in a way you shouldn't have. Don't raise no hands. I don't want no divorces going on today. I wonder how many of you got on Facebook and flying, oh my, just flapped your jaws about this and that and the other. I wonder how many of you have been busybodies in other people's matters that really don't affect you at all. Preach, Brother Burton. So why do we deal with these things? Because of our mortality. And there's only one way a mortal can keep, be kept subject. Mortify. 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 Our eyes, our ears, our hands, Amen. our feet. Praise God. Wow. I found this scripture yesterday and I'll tell you what, it was just overwhelming to me. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, you know in reading Paul's writings that Paul used a lot of the Greek games running the race and the different synonyms that he would use because he could see a parallel of the games and how that it was a struggle and there'd only be one in a certain class that would get the the wreath that was plaited. But here Paul says a strange word, and it was like those who boxed and wrestled in the Olympic Games. Look at the word keep. To beat black and blue. Uh Uh-oh. But now most of us deal with our flesh with rose petals. When you should be doing this. Ah, even you legalists didn't say amen. I'm in for it, aren't I? Can you know, imagine a man filled with the Holy Ghost, a church-age messenger, and a prophet that would liken dealing with his humanity as a man boxing himself. So he's not standing up, you know, boxing with an opponent, but he's actually hitting himself. Wham, well, that was a government. Wham, that was a government. Wow! I knocked the breath out of myself. I done good, didn't I? Well, we'd say there's something mentally wrong with a person like that. The way we look at it, there's something mentally wrong with a person if they're not doing that. (laughs) To beat myself black and blue. You see, friends. To be honest with you, it'd make my my job as a pastor a whole lot easier if y'all would do this to yourself instead of making me do it. Right. Amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs> y'all come in, you're in, sit down, and you all ain't gotten a bit more bruises than this piece of paper right here. On, you look like a sack of white lily flower. You're just so prim and proper. And you're just as white. I now mean, I get up here and Brother Dale gets up here, some of these other preachers get up here and go to dragging out that sword and we cut your ear off, we flay your nose, we remove two or three of your fingers. That's just an opening comments. And then you walk out. <laughs> Where you been? Church. Well, it must have been bad. I got out easy. Y'all to see the rest of them. <laughs> Notice what Paul said: to beat black and blue, to smite, so as to cause bruises and livid spots, like a boxer one buffets. His body, handle it roughly, disciplined by hardships, metaphorically, to give one intolerant, intolerable annoyance, beat one out, wear one out by entreaties. Now, if you could do this to yourself, the way you do it to folks on Facebook. We'd have a church on it Now wait a minute. If Paul is converted and got the Holy Ghost, and now remember this is not chapter seven. He's talking about how he has to still treat his life as a mortal, Brother Jim. I've got to beat it black and blue. Why? If it's saved and got the Holy Ghost? Why is it if there's no faults left in this human It shows me that the Paul that he's addressing is like the Donnie I'm addressing, like the Harry, like the Lance, like the Carol, the Barbara, the Janet, the whoever more. Come on now, saints, go ahead and say amen. Amen. But I, notice, I, not the Holy Ghost, not the church, not the deacons, but I. under my body and bring it into subjection look at the word bring to lead away to slavery claim as one slave praise god forget human perfection focus on human captivity And you bring your body as a slave to the Spirit of God. To make a slave and to treat as a slave with severity. Subject to stern and rigid discipline. You can see why. Straight is the gate that leads to heaven, and few there be that'll find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Why? They cannot stand personal discipline. Personal, You understand that a real son of God, a real daughter of God, they don't behave righteous and good just in the presence of their wife or their husband or the pastor or a deacon. They behave the same whether the wife's around, the deacon's around, the pastor's around. Why? Because they have something inside of them that mortifies their body when they're by theirself. They don't flip a switch to sanctification stage when the wife's sitting next to them or when the husband's sitting next to them, but they've got a hallelujah, a power on the inside that helps them to live a sanctified life. If there ain't nobody within a thousand miles, they're holy, they're righteous, they're true, they're pure, they're born again. And they mortify by that new birth the deeds
1: of their body.
0: So Paul, in capturing this thought, uses the athlete. And the athlete must be disciplined to win the prize. He must watch what he eats. He must watch how many hours he stays up at night even. Other people may come around, oh man, look at this Boston cream pie. Look at this upside down Pineapple cake. Man, look at all these high carbs, this, that, and other. Oh, don't you want it? Well, of course he wants it. But he wants the prize more. Because he knows too many carbs and this and that and the other can work on his performance. You preaching with me? Oh, he'd be lying to say, I don't want that at all. Sure he wants it. He wants it just as bad or maybe more so than you do because you had it yesterday. He ain't had it in a month. Why? Because he disciplines himself. You think he likes him when he has to get out there and run in the rain and run in the snow and run in the wind whenever you're piled up in the bed at a quarter after five? Of course he don't. But he wants what? He wants the prize. You think our mortality wants all of these things? Of course it does not. But we want the prize. Hallelujah. I don't want to just come through the gates and say I barely made it. I want to please my Lord. My prize my brother, sister, is hearing my Lord Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, I'll give up the world. I'll give up the things of the world. I will discipline myself to get the prize. You see, discipline does not necessarily mean just giving up the bad. Discipline means giving up the good, the better, for the best. It don't just mean giving up the horrible and the the terrible. It means giving up the good, the better, for the best. Hallelujah. The athlete must watch what he eats. Must watch his time, his mind, his concentration. That's why you need to watch what you feed on spiritually. I ain't talking about your hamburgers and your taters and your maters and all that sort of thing. I'm talking about what you feed on. Now look here, Paul said. I discipline myself in this way lest while I preach to others, I would be a castaway. You see, Paul believed in eternal security. He's not saying that he thought he'd be lost. Again, he's using the same term in the games, that he would lose the prize and get no reward. So there was a herald. Let me read it this way, this is history. A herald who announced the rules of the contest, the names of the contestants, and the names and cities of the winners. He would also announce the names of any contestants who were qualified. So Paul saw himself as a herald, but he also saw himself as a contestant. He saw himself as announcing the evil He saw himself as announcing the good. And he also announced those who are gonna win and those who are gonna lose. But he said, after I've done all that, I don't wanna come up myself. And actually the word there was be disqualified. Don't we hear it about in American sports? and other sports where they take enhancing drugs to do this and that and the other? In horse races, so the horse that wins, they wanna take him back to the stable and let them draw blood and make sure they didn't give him some type of enhancing drug. Oh my. Paul said, I don't wanna go all of this and labor. I don't wanna be tossed out at night and no sleep and, and, and no food and be downtrodden and cast out and then come to the end of it and my reward be taken from me. And I would be a castaway find myself disqualified. Don't you understand what the church is going to find out in the morning of the rapture? Don't you see what even folks have said around this message are going to realize? They have been disqualified to be in the rapture. Oh my... Let me read one more, can I? Galatians 5, 24, and they that are Christ's. Now this is possessive. The Christ owns them and possesses them. They're not that by an external profession only, but by an internal implantation of a divine deposit of the faith of the Son of God. For the life that I live, I no longer live it by myself, But I live it by the faith, not in, but of the Son of God. They that are Christ. Notice what he said, they that are Christ. Have, not Christ crucified the flesh, but they. Your very life, friends, is a symbol that you're a Christian. All to say that people are Christian today, they smoke, they drink, they have how many ever wives and husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends, they live any way they want to and yet claim they're a Christian to means you are a Christian is means you are Christ-like. What did they call them in the early days when they called him a Christian? They were first called Christians and any other. It was not a descriptive term of great describing of great praise and adoration. It was a name that was cast out. They called them crossbacks Amen. because they carried crosses on the back. Well, I don't have one on my back, but I've got one in my life. They that are Christ's have crucified So here you are, your soul, your soul is telling your body, get on the cross. Your soul has led your body down the Via Della You have beat it every step of the way. Your body fell and got weak and agony set in and pain. But your soul had no pity. Your soul marched it up the hill in the place of the skull, your mind. And there your soul said to your body, climb on the cross. And your soul, your soul stood there as your body shaking and quivering. And it clawed its way up on the cross. And it lay down. And your soul took the hammer and the nail. Ah! your soul hit it again and again then it laid the other hand out
1: shaking and quivering your flesh screamed
0: Then you drove both feet one on top of the other Then you picked it up. And you said, You stay there. Don't you ever come down. You understand that the Romans were not the first ones to crucify the Carthaginians, many others did. But the Romans brought it to a stage of perfection. The Romans assigned a guard with a centurion that would stay there to watch the crucified. Because actually what would happen before they did this? Say one of you men was crucified and the Romans would leave you there. Your family would come and pull you off the cross and you would live. You see, crucifixion is not necessarily an instant death. Every year in the Philippines, there are people who get crucified. I saw a documentary not long ago of a man that's been crucified 15 years in a row. Nails drove through his hands, nails drove through his feet, and he hangs there from the morning to the afternoon. By the afternoon, they take him down off the cross, and he's done this for 15 years in a row. Revival after Revival. Use camp after use camp. Well, yeah. Oh, God, I promise. I promise, God. I promise. Yeah. But you've got to have a guard or a pastor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. When you go to drag out that claw hammer out of your tool pack, ready to remove them nails, the pastor said, ah. put that back. Oh. Sorry. So that's all right, I packed mine there too. I've learned how to crucify mine. You think I want to die? You think I love being a laughing stock around the world? Do you think I love my name being ridiculed? You think I love being one of the most ridiculed and at preachers in the message? You think I enjoy that? I have to die to myself. Every video I see with my name on it. Every letter, every email. Because I think, why me? Why do I have to deal with all this? I want to drag up my claw hammer and pull these nails out of my hands and throw them as far as I can throw them. And never look back. But my soul says, "Eh." "My soul is threatening to get rid of that claw hammer and give me a ball pen hammer, which has no claws." (laughs) Listen, now that y'all have left you suspended, right? Some y'all's got one arm in and one arm out, and you're. Think of it, friends. They that are Christ have crucified. Isn't it amazing that Paul says they have done it. It's no wonder that when the prophet of God was carried there beyond the curtain of time, even when the prophecy was given to him, A huge portion of heaven awaits you. Why? Because of His choice. His choice. Can you imagine how your body will be on that day of the change when finally you're able to pull the nails out for the last time. And your body will be pulled down off of the cross, your soul would have led your body into eternal eyes, eternal lips, eternal teeth, eternal bones, eternal hands, eternal feet. The same body that nailed it to the cross will lead it to the theophany and say, I'd like to introduce you to your theophany
1: praise God
0: you see to be a Christian is what this embraces to show conformity to our crucified Lord Jesus who died a death of shame humiliation and pain Remember, the cross was barely raised off the ground, so people on the ground would come by and smack them. As I mentioned it to you a week or so ago, actually the jackals and the coyotes would tear the skin off of their legs, tear the skin off their feet. The birds would eat their eyes out, and they're still alive. They would hang there for days. The longest one so far that I've been able to find historically was about 18 days. Can you imagine? Gangrene sets in the body. Gangrene your own body, rottening. And they've got somebody there garden, lest your family come and take you down. We would be deserving of such a death, but this holy, righteous one, not only subjected himself to mortality, but subjected himself to this kind of death. You see, the Lord Jesus went through more The most people ever go through life and death just getting to the cross. Much less the cross. Then the sins of all the world placed on him. That horrible pain and suffering of the transfer of our sins. Spirit God, the angels, the cherubims, the seraphims, the zoons, all the heavenly beings turning their back as it was. And him saying, my God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hallelujah, why? So you could stand here today and hang your body on a cross when your body would say to you, why have you forsaken me? You'll have to say, cause I love you. If I listen to you, you'll take me to hell. If you listen to me, I'll take you to heaven. Is that right? In his time, when mortification is setting in, when his body is so shaking and quivering with pain, while he's on the cross, but a man also on the cross. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Most of us would not even categorize that as a prayer of repentance. He doesn't mention any wrongs he's done. He doesn't say, I'm a sinner. He doesn't say, I've drunk, I've run around, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. He don't even say nothing like that. But he acknowledges what it takes to get in. You're the king. Remember me. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus... And all that agony and pain looks to him and said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, I'd love to have been there for just a few moments when him and Jesus arrive. There was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi. Thousands times, thousands there. And this man comes in and says, who are you? How did you get here? It happened just a few moments ago. Oh, was you a prophet I was a thief? Was you a good man? I died because of my sins. But I realized that man on the cross was the way to life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Friends, we don't want church entity. We don't want religion. We want new birth. New birth. And a surrendered life that comes in conformity with that new birth. Can we bow our heads together? Brother Gary has a friend he wants us to pray for, Rick Culler. His family's been called to the hospital virus and very critical how many of you today would like to be remembered before the Lord maybe not sickness in your body you'd like to be more of a surrendered person to the Lord I'll raise my hands both of them Lord Jesus thank you for the service today I know it's not one to make a shout but if we'll get it we'll shout after a while Ain't no question about it. If we can apply this to our lives and live by it every day, we will shout through the ceaseless ages of eternity. Amen. Oh, we like deeper things better. We like other things better that make us feel good. But it wasn't, Lord Jesus, those things that make the flesh feel good that paid my redemption. It was your pain, your suffering. Oh Lord God, I thank you for it. Emptying yourself out and letting Satan, by the bee of death, strike your body. And you become a curse for us all. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But we are so glad you didn't just die, but you raised from the dead. Praise God, and you were raised for our justification. Father, help us. We realize this is not something that happens instantaneously. As the new birth, with that nature of the world, the worldly nature we were born with, and the soul. Whenever you get it to the altar, and the pillar of fire breaks on that nature. It destroys it. Your prophet projects it so beautifully, and you must be born again in 1961, that the judgment of God, the wrath of God, falls on that nature. It's annihilated. And that little seed germ, which was part of the father's thinking, the father's gene, it sprang to life at the death of that old man. So we're not forgiven. We're justified. That old life isn't forgiven. That old nature ain't forgiven. There is no scripture in the entire canon of the Bible that says that old life ever is sanctified. Or that old life is refurbished. But the old man died. Praise God. And we were born again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray, Father. Lord, you see the time we're in. Father, we can feel it. We can feel it around us. We can see it. Lord, I saw pictures of it today. Even in some of our cities, they're boarding up windows and boarding up stores and boarding up residences and some of these movie stars and millionaires hiring security services to come and patrol their properties because they're expecting such things in the time of the election. Who would have ever thought that our nation, supposedly the home of the free, the land of the brave and the home of the free, and I mean even men sitting right here today that risk their life to buy us this freedom. Lord, where will we come to? Because we left you out, this is where we are. Our God, I pray that you'd help us. Watch over your children, Lord. Mayhem we know will rain one day, but Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd be mindful of your bride. Help us, Lord God, that we can live the kind of life that's pleasing to you every day, Lord Jesus. We're not waiting for some special speaker to come. We're not waiting for some special meeting to come and then we're going to get some type of miraculous prayer. But Father, we want to begin today that we are the kind of Christians you want us to be. We're sorry for laying all of it at your door and saying you have to do it. Surely they see it, Lord, after these scriptures today. It's you and us working together to bring it to pass. It's really a marvel because you don't need our help in dealing with the soul. Just our consent, that's all. You don't really ask for our help. So you, by the pillar of fire, devour the nature that's there, and it dies. You birth your own seed, your own son or daughter. We're birthed by the breath of God, the Holy Ghost. But then you incorporate us in that everyday life of surrendering. So when people hurt our feelings or people offend us over and over again our flesh wants to act back Lord we want to get even with them we want to say this or that or the other or do this or that or the other but the soul says Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing Lord I ain't just talking about people running around smoking committing adultery I'm just talking about everyday stuff having a nice word in in the place of a a bad foul word or a, a rough word just everyday kind of life Lord that's what we want to be just everyday Christians. Help us today, Father. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. You love Him, saints, with all your heart. What do you say we have an invisible altar call this morning? Now, no doubt many of you in the past have laid your cigarettes, as it were, on the altar. and you, You've laid your worldly music on the altar. Some of you laid your... Pornographic websites on the altar. I say today that we all, beginning with me, take our claw hammer or our pry bar or our crowbar. We lay our ability to remove these nails out of our hands on the altar of God and say, God, by your help and grace, I will never try to free myself again. Look, friends, you might as well like it. Some of the things you deal with in life at your cross, some of your burdens, some of your family, some of the things you have to do, some of the things you have to put up with. You'll never pray it away, but you can pray God will give you grace and strength to be able to bear it. And sometimes we don't bear it well when we're complaining and grumbling. We lose the value of our cross when we grumble about it every day. How many needs help with it? Me too. So why do you say? Let's just lay our claw hammers at the altar. Let's lay our grumbling attitude at the altar. Say, Lord, from this day forward, by your grace and mercy, if you will help me, Lord, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better woman. I'm talking about the new birth now. You're working yourself to a new birth. No, totally separate. But you bringing this subject to a life committed to God. Amy agrees with me today that's what we want as children of God. God bless you, Saints. Hey, sing something. Let's worship together a little. Can we just worship a little bit now and pour a little oil in our wounds? Who I feel kind of hacked up myself today. Amen. Let's worship him just a little before we go.
1: Praise. Give Lord. myself away. Yes, Lord. I give myself away, I give it to you, Jesus. So you, so you can use me. I give myself away. I do. I give myself away. So. Let's sing that with all of our heart this morning. Oh, I surrender. appreciate the word of the Lord this morning. Let's just sing this little chorus as we go this morning. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Hey, remember the service Wednesday night upcoming. We'll take up your cross and follow Jesus.